0: Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? Man, it's great to have you guys with us today. Um, I want to mention something again. If you were here last week, I said this. This is the season two for something called the Accelerate Offering. Our vision at Thrive is 650 k So you see that everywhere here, and that's not raising $650,000. Uh, we're not asking for that uh, today from you. Uh, if you want to give that, we'll take it. No, I'm joking. Um, but our vision is for people who don't, or don't know Christ and aren't connected to a local church, especially here in Richmond. Um, And one of the things unique about Thrive is we have planted, counting our Richmond campus, we have started four churches in 12 years. Some churches never start another church. They never launch another church. They do missions, of course, but never plant churches. And that's our vision to plant other churches, especially here in Richmond, you know why? There's 650,000 people who are not connected to a local church, who are not connected to faith, who are not connected to a local community, and Thrive Church cannot reach them all. I don't wanna pastor 650,000 people, right? So what do we do? This offering we do every year goes directly toward planting and resourcing other churches, helping them reach people, because it's not about Thrive Church. One day, the sun will set on the story of Thrive Church. Every church has a life cycle and a death cycle. I came in, in the previous church, we restarted this, it was a death cycle. The church was down to 20 people. We relaunched and started a new cycle. And there are people who gave to get this church started, right? Thrive Church, which you're enjoying. We're doing the same thing, we're helping new churches get started in Richmond and around the USA and they are reaching people. For instance, uh, this week I talked to our church planner in Connecticut, they're really going through a struggling time and they went through a struggle season. Connecticut's hard ground up there and uh, since the fall, they did this big re-grand opening, they have tripled in attendance since the fall and it's because of what we have been able to do for them. So right now while you're sitting here, they're having church and they are reaching people that you will not meet till you get to heaven. So I wanna challenge you. Last year, um, I'm gonna tell you something, 55, only 55 people, or between several hundred at both campuses gave. We're not asking you to, to give a certain amount. Like, you can give $2, but give to church planting, pray about it, so we can continue to reach people and further the gospel. This all goes directly back to that accelerate, because here's the deal, this is what we call it accelerate. We want to accelerate God's vision. Like God has a vision for people to be saved to be reached. You know the best way to reach people in the U.S. is planting brand new churches. That's the number one way according to every metric and every statistic. So pray about that. Pastor Keith will give you more information about it um, because we believe about, uh, this here. It's about the gospel. It's about reaching people here at Thrive Church. It's about resourcing other churches. It's not about our castle. It's about the kingdom. Amen. Well, we're starting a brand new series today. It's Christmas, it's called The Signs of Christmas. I want to talk to you today about the first sign that we actually need Christmas. Um, let me just lead, lead with this, and I shared this uh, on social media, is that Jesus is not the reason for the season. Collective gasp. Before you check out, before you log out online, hear me out. Jesus is not the direct reason for the season. And we can't jump into the, the nativity account of Jesus' birth. We can't start there if you talk about Christmas and about the birth of Christ. If you're going to talk, talk about Advent, it started way before Advent. The reason we have Christmas started way before the Savior ever came. And I want to show you what the, the direct first primary reason is for the season. And you've got to go all the, all the way back to Genesis to find that. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3 this morning. Now, God creates the heavens and the earth And he creates mankind and he creates Adam and Eve and they're in unbroken fellowship with him in the Garden of Eden. He gives them assignments to go and name animals and explore and to take dominion and tend the garden and do all these amazing things. And they have this relationship where they're walking with God, unbroken fellowship. They would have lived forever. Things were beautiful. It was paradise. And then something happened. Satan entered the scene do I want you to look at Genesis 3, 1 and what happens there. I want you to walk with me uh, through the scripture. And it says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, Eve, did God really say you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Now, God had put two trees there and said, hey, listen, do not eat from, the, from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you to do that. You know how it is you tell your child not to do something. What do they want to do? They want to go do it because you told them not to do it. He says, don't eat of this tree. And so then Satan plays on that. He says, did God say not to eat of any of the trees in the garden? He says, of course. She said, of course, we may eat uh, fruit from trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. And then Satan steps in. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon, as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The whole idea was God's holding out on you. Like, like you know, if you get this, you're gonna have this special knowledge. And the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, And its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. Right here, and this is not the time to preach this, but in John, the Apostle John, says that the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life are all the things that are are of this world, that are of Satan and what he wants. Right here, in this one verse, was lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life all right here, because she saw it was beautiful, it looked delicious, she wanted the wisdom it would give her, all right there. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Let me tell you a little secret. You'll never win a, a game of hide and go seek with God. Just saying, right? Then the Lord called to the man, where are you? God knew where he was at, but he wanted Adam to answer him. He replied, I heard you walk into the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree of whose fruit I've commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Again, that's the first marital problem ever and God's into to a little mini marriage conference there is the man blamed the woman. That's one of the things you have to realize is that sin causes shame and many times when sin causes such deep shame, we, we wanna blame other people and circumstances and our, how we grew up and everything else have taken responsibility for it. We wanna hide and that's what's happening here. Then the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? She said, "'The serpent deceived me,' she replied, "'and that's why I ate it.' "'Then the Lord God said to the serpent, "'Because you have done this, you are cursed. "'More than all the wild animals, domestic and wild, "'you will crawl on your belly, "'groveling in the dust as long as you live, "'and I'll cause hostility between you and the woman, "'between your offspring and her offspring.'" He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. That's a reference to the gospel there in Jesus. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. See, the, the desire to, to control, like, men, don't get mad at your wife because she's in agony controlling you. I mean, God said it's going to happen. I'm joking. <laughs> don't y'all laugh at that. Don't look at your wife. And to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you, and all your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, and though you will eat of his grains, by the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made, for you were made from dust, and to dust you will return." Now this may seem very odd for a Christmas message because many of you want to start with the manger and angels and shepherds, but you have to understand that this is where Christmas started at was in Genesis chapter three. This is when mankind fell. This is when sin entered into humanity. Whenever you look around and say, why is there suffering and evil in the world? Why did so-and-so die of this sickness? Why are we, this is why, the curse of sin. It broke fellowship with us and God. We were born into sin, separated from our creator. And this is where we have to start for Christmas. And here's what we have to realize. And write this down in your notes, because Jesus is not the direct reason for the season. Sin is the reason for the season. Sin is the reason for the season. We celebrate God sending his son, Advent, Emmanuel, Advent means the coming, right? We look at the manger and we say, that's that's the story of Christmas. The story of Christmas started way before there was ever a manger. Because without sin, we never would have needed a Savior. Without sin, we never would have needed Advent. And I think so many times we just look at the season and it's just like, man, joy to the world, and that's great. But why is there joy to the world? Why is there all that? Why did God even need to send his Son? It's because sin entered humanity and mankind and it affects all of us it affects everything that we live in and that we touch and I want to explain that to you today because if you can understand that sin is the reason for the season then you understand that God's solution for sin was his son and that's what he sent and that's what we celebrate Christmas called Advent now realize this about sin I'll talk to you about sin for a second welcome to Thrive Church I know you'll be really excited today I could do a series on joy and you'd be much more happier seven ways to have a more joyful life Right? I could write a book on that and smile. But I believe that one of the things we miss in the modern day church is talking about sin. Don't want them talking about it. We call call them issues. It's just sin. And when you understand the gospel, sin and, and that and what sin really is, and I say this in a way, don't you, is actually a beautiful term that needs to be received because again, without sin, you can't have the savior. So, what is sin? Sin is more than just missing a mark. Though in the Greek, in, when you read the New Testament, that word harmatia doesn't mean missing the standard or the mark. Because God is holy and God has standards. And none of us, there's no person on earth except for Jesus who is able to fulfill all the standards of a holy God. And that's why we can't make it into heaven without Christ. Because literally you have to be perfect to get to heaven. So when somebody says, I don't want Jesus, I'll take my chances getting to heaven. They're saying, I believe I'm perfect. I don't need a savior. Jesus is the only one and his sacrifice, again, made us right before God. So sin is missing the mark, but it's way more than that. I want you to realize when we talk about sin, it is missing God's holy standard, but it is something way deeper. I want you to write this down. Sin is everything contrary to the fullest potential. Everything contrary to the fullest potential. In the Garden of Eden, God had a vision for mankind. He saw the full potential for mankind. God sees your full potential. He sees the full potential for human flourishing. And what sin does, sin is contrary to that. God desires that we flourish. Now, I'm not saying we'd be prosperous and make a bunch of money and have a bunch of nice cars. That's what I'm saying. Flourishing, or may I use the word thrive? No pun intended. God wants us to thrive. That word there means to flourish. That means your relationships flourish to the fullest potential. That means you reach your fullest potential. And so what sin does, sin causes you to not reach that. It thwarts the process of that. And I want you to think of it this way. I have a son. I love my son. And when my son, you know, gets in trouble at school or has a bad habit, I don't go and say, You've missed the mark, son. Dad has a standard. You're filling dad's standard. Get right or get left. Like, 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 you know what I'm saying? That's, that's not how a father talks to a child. A, father, a true loving father says, hey, like, I see your full potential. I see what you can be. I mean, I dream of your future for you. I have these future memories for you already. And what you're doing right now is going to thwart your fullest potential in your life if you continue down that path. That's why parents say that person's not good for you because they want the fullest potential for you. That's why they say that habit is not good for you because they want the fullest potential for you. And our heavenly father looks at us when it comes to sin and saying, there's such a better way. It's not just missing my standard. Yeah, that is sin and Christ will save us from that, but it's so much more than that. And here's two truths I want you to realize as I mentioned already about sin. God desires human flourishing. God does not want any of us to just falter and flail around. God wants us to flourish. It says in Psalm 1, and this is not in your notes on the screen, I want to read this to you because this is a very important psalm. Psalm 1, verse 1, you can write this down. It says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join with mockers because they've missed the standard. It's not just that. Not just that. But they delight in the law of the Lord meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank bearing fruit each season. And watch this. Their leaves never wither and they prosper or flourish in all that they do. Can I tell you right now, God wants you to flourish in your life. He wants you to flourish spiritually with him. He wants you to have a robust relationship where you love the scriptures, you're turning worship music on and you hunger and desire to go after your heavenly father. He wants that. Do you know that in your marriage, God desires human flourishing in that relationship? Not bitterness and resentment and stagnation and all that. He desires flourishing with your children, with your friendships, with your job. Even when it comes to finances, he wants you to flourish. God does not want you in debt. Find stuff that you can't afford to impress people that don't even care about you and you shouldn't need to try to impress. In your physical body. He does not want you going around. That's why God has given us whole foods to eat, not that junk that they make in factories for us We wonder why we're sick. There's a reason you're sick all the time. Somebody say amen, please. Like God gave us great, I mean, awesome, like animals to eat that live off the ground in awesome fruits and vegetables. And we're around eating you know, Oreos and oatmeal cookies. And we're wondering, oh, what's wrong? And God's like, no, I want you to flourish. I don't want you sick. I don't want you living to live into your lowest potential. I don't want you having to take all these medicines. God wants you to flourish. That is God's highest standard for us is to flourish. And then that's what sin comes in. Sin thwarts that. Sin is the opposite of that. Wherever you see struggle and you see people sick, you see them hurt, you see relationships, wherever you see that, that's the result of sin. And so I want you to look at this and write this down here when it comes to sin. Not only does God desire human th- uh, flourishing, but sin destroys anything God desires. Think about the Garden of Eden. God set it up for him. Easy layup. Just don't eat the one tree. And what does Satan do? He came in to get to do the one thing, to to counteract what God had in place. And you have to realize in your life, that's what sin is. Sin is contrary to human flourishing. So when God wants you to flourish in relationship with him and in your life and with your children, your mental health, the opposite of that is that's what sin does. It says in John ten ten, Jesus speaking to his listeners that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what Satan comes to do. And the reason we even have a Christmas the reason we even celebrate this and it's such a big deal, right, is because that's God's answer to the very thing that thwarts human flourishing and human potential in our life. And my, my fear is this, and I want you to, to write this down, because this is the generation that we live in, and you don't hear many churches just talk about sin because you know, it's not exciting, it's not a narrative in there, but if you don't believe in sin, then you can't receive the Savior, God did not come to save you from your issues. It's mighty quiet. God came to save you from your sin, and that's why He sent the Savior. And we live in a generation, guys, especially people who call themselves Christians who don't even believe in sin. Clearly, Scripture will say things, and we're like, oh no, well, the the, the way what I feel and what I think. And if you if you downplay sin. If you push away sin and say sin doesn't exist, you can't be saved. And it's not that you're going out and you're living some immoral life. I'm not talking about some of you, I and mean, it's not like you're out you know, walking the streets and pushing drugs. I'm not talking about that. But some people are way too moral even to be saved. My grandfather, um, like his story of salvation, he wasn't some drunkard and you know, some guy who you know, just didn't have it all together and couldn't keep a job and all that. He was actually a very moral man did not cuss, did not drink, did not smoke. He didn't do anything wrong. And my grandmother was like, Harold, come to church with me, you know? Well, of course, she, she was young back then. So she probably didn't sound like that, but Harold, come to church with me. You know? <laughs> back in their 20s. <laughs> and so, you know, he would say, why do I need to go to church? I don't, there's nothing wrong with me. I don't do anything bad. He wouldn't admit that he had sin. And then as she began to show him in scripture that we're all born into sin and showing him that we're all of us in sin and all that, and it's not about your morality. And that you. And then finally one day he came to the point that he, he realized he needed the Savior to save him from his own righteous morality he had created. And he gave his life to Christ. And it's not just that sometimes there are people in our generation that believe they're just good. And if you believe you're good, you can never have the Savior. Do you understand that we, again, I'm going to talk about this and we're going to jump into it, but we are born into sin, every one of us on, on planet Earth. We are sinners. I know this is not popular preaching. I know you'll you get angry and you can find a probably more encouraging message somewhere else, but if you don't grasp this, this means nothing. Because when you realize that you are a sinner, you couldn't save yourself, that you, that you needed the Savior, Christmas has a whole new meaning for you. It is truly Advent for you, the coming of Messiah to save us from our sins. But if you don't believe you have sin, guess what? You can't be saved. And so what do you do? What do you do? I want you to write this down. There's, there's two things I think we should take action on, and it's called this. It's on it and then pawn it. You're going to own it. Just on your sin. And then you're going to pawn it. If you've ever been to a pawn shop before, you take what you have, you give it to them, and they give you something in return, right? You cannot give Christ your sin until you own your sin. And some of us, our whole life, have been justifying and blaming and deflecting to everybody else about our sin. And the only way that we can have salvation is to own that sin and say, so "You know what? Here is my sin. Confess it to someone." without any shame, and then pawn it. What does that mean? Actually, the apostle John shows us, he says in 1 John 1.8, he says, if we claim to have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth, as we just said. But if we confess our sins to him, confess, you gotta own that sin, I am a sinner, it says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. First John 1, 9, on it and then pawn it. And God wants your sin. The same way that Adam hid in the garden, like, you know, like God wouldn't find him and didn't know what happened, we do the same thing. I think we're so ashamed sometimes of our own sin, of our own shortcomings, our own, that we won't bring that to God. He wants that. He wants you to bring that to him. He wants you to, yes, own it, but it's not yours to keep. It's yours to bring to him. And when you bring it to him, he gives you full forgiveness and full cleansing and pardon of sin. There is no other religion on planet Earth that teaches that. Every other religion teaches you own it and do the best you can do with it, and hopefully one day you'll get to heaven. And that's why Christmas has such a deep meaning for us as followers of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, it is a great, great sign to you that God loves you, wants to save you from your sin, and sent his son. But here's what you have to understand. Number one, as I said before, we are born into sin. It's not a matter of my, am I good or bad. Everybody's born into sin. Romans 3, 9 and three ten says this. It says this. Um, that, well, should we conclude that Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. All of us are born into it. Um, I know we have these people, pop icons that teach us that, that you're good and you're full of light and you're getting better. These people never had children. I've shared this before to you and I'll share it again because it's a great illustration. If you have children, you understand one thing. They are not amazing little creatures who get better and better and better. They are selfish. They are angry. They, you to, do you have to? Has, is there any parent, and maybe you're the one exception to the rule, they had to teach your kid not to share? Like, no, 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 you just you stop sharing. You're just too good. No, you just listen way too much. You told my son, the day, we're listening to this Christmas carol. It's like there's a place, you know, where the treetops Listen and children all listen. I was like, hey, bro, we're going to live there. <laughs> because children, I mean, children show you that we're born into sin. They come out of the womb. We're just born into it. Selfish, not wanting to share. Lying. I mean, you don't have to teach your kid to lie, do you? They just start lying one day because we're born into that. And that's not a bad thing. This is not a dark cloud message. It's a dark cloud message if you don't understand the gospel. This is beautiful because, again, when you understand, man, we're born into sin, nothing we can do about it, and then God sends his son, that's what makes it beautiful. So we're born into sin. The, The second truth, again, I'll show you is we commit sin daily. Yeah, daily. If you don't believe you do, just... Let's, let's interview your spouse. They'll, they'll, give, they'll tell you everything that you, that you do wrong, right? Just, yeah, that's right, yeah, you are a sinner. And we commit it daily. That is not to beat you up. I commit sin daily, you commit sin daily. We all do. And again, if we won't own that, then we can't pawn it and get what Jesus has for us. Because here's what I want you to understand. Our admission of our commission leads to remission. I'm gonna explain that. Because this is the crux of the message. Our admission to our commission leads to remission. Number one, our admission. Admit your sin. You know, 1 John 1, 9 says, confess your sins to God and he will do what? He will, it will cleanse you. He's faithful. He's just through Jesus Christ. But James, the half-brother of Jesus said, if we confess our sins to each other, we shall be healed. See, God forgives you whenever you sin, but if you'll just admit your sin to God and then confess your sin to a friend, guess what? You'll find healing when you start owning it and you pawn it to God, and you pawn it to other people, it, you find someone who's a safe place for you, and can say, yeah, man, you know what? I really just lost my cool this week. You know, I really, I, I, this is something I've really struggled with, and as you share that, you find healing. So our admission is important, of our co-mission, committing our sin. When you do that, it leads to remission, the remission of sins meaning that God forgives you, he cleanses you, and gives you power over that sin. And guys, that is the message of Christmas. We, We would not need the trees, the manger, any of this if it wasn't for sin. And as I close this morning, I want you to understand this because this is what Christmas is about. Christmas is the celebration of God's solution to the destruction sin does in our world. That's what Christmas is. What is, it's not just the sending of a savior. It's not the sending of a good teacher. Not the sending of a good man. It was the solution for sin. And the first sign that we even needed Christmas is the fact that sin entered the world. Now you know, in here today, there's, there's a couple types of people. There's uh, one person, or watching online, that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and you've never, again, come to the realization, now I'm a sinner, I'm born into sin. I can't save myself. You're kind of mixing like I go to church and good works and maybe I'll get to heaven and balance it all out. And what you need to do is just own it and pawn it. I'm a sinner, I need the savior, I cannot save myself, I surrender. And then there's believers in here who somewhere along the line, we live in such an amusement driven, pleasure driven society, such a hedonistic society that we just kind of like just driven out the idea of sin in our life daily oh, we're good at pointing out why well, we don't like other people. I don't like this and I can't stand that. We're pointing out everybody else's problems and all this stuff. But we don't just sit down and say, you know what, this, there's, there's sin in my life. Now that's difficult. I'll tell you why. I mean, yeah, because it does bring a, a little bit of shame because you have something you gotta deal with. But God does not want you to live with that. He wants you to identify your sin, to say, you know what, Lord, yeah, I have this. And he wants to take it from you. And he wants to cleanse your conscience. He wants to cleanse your heart. We're gonna take communion today. In a few minutes, what a more beautiful way of the picture of the gospel, where whenever I, like, you know, I take communion every Sunday before I preach, right? And the thing that I'm always so incredibly grateful for is the fact that my conscience can be cleansed, guilt and shame wiped away because of the blood of Jesus. And some of you as believers, as we take communion today, you need to, and Paul says this, you need to examine yourself. It's been a long time since you examined your sin. You know everybody else's. You're angry and justified and offended everybody else's stuff in their life, but you, you won't sit down and be honest about your own. And if you'll do that, you will find freedom in a way you never have before. And I want you to think about this for, for this moment on, I want you to never look at Christmas the same. When you look and you hear somebody say that Jesus is the reason for the season, say, well, sin is the reason, Jesus is the solution. Sin is the reason and Jesus is the solution, amen? Let's pray this morning. Father, we come to you and we will say thank you for sending your son for our sin. Thank you that we had this season called Advent, the coming of our Messiah. We're celebrating this, Lord, to wipe away our sins. I pray for those in here today, those, those believers in here today who maybe have not examined themselves in a long time. And maybe they're carrying weight and carrying guilt, or maybe they're just ignoring the very things in their life that are hurting the flourishing that you want, God. You desire them to flourish. You've come to give life and life more abundantly. But sin is thwarting that. Today, I pray, God, as they give you their sin, they would receive your forgiveness and understand the power you've given us over sin by the power of the Holy Spirit in redemption. I pray that, Lord, this Advent season, this Christmas season would be different for them. And as we're praying today, church, in this mode of prayer, maybe for you, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never admitted that you're just a a sinner. Or perhaps you walked away from your faith. You've been doing your own thing, but you say, today is the day I want to admit and commit. I want to admit my sin and commit to Jesus. If that's you today, whether you're online or in here physically, I want you to pray this prayer after me. You say, God, I admit I'm a sinner. I admit I have sin. I repent. I turn away. I turn to you. I need Jesus. I confess Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. For I believe that he died on the cross. I believe he rose again on the third day. Today, I surrender to Jesus. I give you my sin, Lord Jesus. I receive your forgiveness. In Jesus' good name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate with everyone who made that decision. We're seeing it again, man, every week. Across all three campuses, we're seeing God do something powerful.